I need you to be my psychiatrist today. Will you be my psychiatrist? Uh, I had a really bad experience last year at Christmas at my parents' house. Can you be my psychiatrist? Uh, when we walked in uh, with the kids, ready for this nice Christmas, you'll never guess what I saw. It's come, you might pass out when you hear it. We walked in the front door. I saw an aluminum Christmas tree. Can you imagine can you imagine? Aluminum Christmas tree, silver Christmas You can't do that. You can't do that. And my dad apparently found this really old Christmas tree from the 1960s, like the middle of, middle of the space race where everything was chic like, like a spaceship. Anybody want to admit to having one of those? Okay. And they have like little colored lights that they would bounce off of the Christmas tree and make everything pretty. You remember, you remember that? Some of us remember that. I was mortified because Christmas trees are supposed to be what color? Green. That's right. Green. Now, fortunately, they had a real, a real one in the corner there, but they're supposed to be green. Now, if you have a different color, that's okay. We'll still love you, but they're supposed to be green, right? And why are they supposed to be green? They're evergreen tree. Man, these kids are with it. You adults need to catch up. They're with it. All right. Because they're evergreen trees. Now, why do we use evergreen trees for Christmas? Do you know? Why? They don't lose their leaves because every winter all other trees look like they what? Look like they die. And that would not be appropriate for our decorations as we celebrate who? Our eternal Savior. Our eternal Savior who brings us everlasting what? Life. And so as we decorate for this time, we decorate with evergreen trees, evergreen trees, green, 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 as a way to say all other trees seem to die during the winter. But as we celebrate our everlasting Savior, we celebrate with evergreen, ever-living trees. Because you know what? You and I, Christian, we are evergreen trees. We will live forever. Isn't that good news? Now, so that's why we use evergreen trees. Now, when we talk about everlasting life, I think sometimes I, I get a misunderstanding of what that really means. Sometimes I think everlasting life just means I will always exist. And that's definitely part of it, right? I will always be around. But here's the truth of the matter. Every human being will always exist. Are you with me? We will exist either as followers of Jesus in eternal life with him, or scripture says, if we are not following Jesus, we will exist forever in eternal death. So it's almost as if we are two different trees. We as Christians are the evergreen trees. We will have life forever. But if we do not follow Jesus, we will be everlasting dead trees. So, everlasting life does have something to do with existing forever. But that's not all that it, it's all shaked out to be. That's not all that it is to have everlasting life. People in hell will exist forever. So what does it mean for Christians to have everlasting life? Well, we have everlasting life because we have an everlasting Savior. 
Let me say it again. We Christians have everlasting life because we have an everlasting Savior. So that means heaven will be heaven not because you are existing forever. Heaven will be heaven because Jesus is there. Heaven will be heaven because Jesus is there. If Jesus wasn't there, it wouldn't be heaven. Everlasting life takes our everlasting Savior. What will make heaven heavenly is not just eternal existence. People in hell have that. What makes heaven heavenly is that our everlasting Savior is there. And what Isaiah chapter 9 does is Isaiah chapter 9 prophesies about this, this coming child who will bring life to our everlasting. This child who will bring life to our eternal existence if we follow Him. So, before we read this passage, let's pray one more time as, as we come before God's Word. Father God, I need Your help to proclaim this truth. Father, we need You to prepare our hearts to hear it. Father, I pray that this sweet truth, this powerful truth that Jesus is our everlasting Savior and He brings Himself to us forever and it's because of His presence in our life and our relationship with Him that will make eternity worth living and will make eternity life for us and not death. Father, to proclaim such amazing words, Father, I can't do it on my own. And so, Father, we need You to prepare our hearts and speak clearly. And we thank You, Father, for the gift of love that You have given us in Jesus. May this sermon give assurance. May this sermon bring us joy in the goodness that Jesus has given us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We have everlasting life because we have an everlasting Savior. Let's read this passage together. It's probably familiar. If you've been in church uh, a while, you're probably familiar with this, especially in Christmas time. Isaiah chapter 9. Big number nine. I think Charlie Brown even, even said it during Charlie Brown Christmas. So we should be familiar with this. Chapter nine, big number nine, little number six. Let's read together. It goes like this. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And what does this amazing thing? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Okay, Isaiah gives us a peek at why our eternity will be an everlasting life and not an everlasting death in this picture. What does Jesus bring to us that gives us eternal life, not just eternal existence? So the first thing that we see, our, our everlasting Father, our everlasting Jesus, what does He bring to us? He brings us everlasting, miraculous Wisdom. Everlasting, miraculous wisdom. 
Wonderful counselor, miraculous wisdom. What's a counselor? You ever been to counseling? Ever been to counseling? I know it's kind of one of those things we don't want to admit, but counseling's great. We should all go to counseling every once in a while. Counseling, what does that mean? For an hour during some evening, you go and meet with somebody who invests in your life. Says, you've got this issue, or you've got this thing going on in life, you're going through this storm, and so someone sits with you and says, I will invest in your life for this hour. Isn't that good? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And so what this tells us, wonderful counselor. If that's counseling, investing in your life, Jesus comes to you, Christian. He says, I am your wonderful counselor. And that's really good news because that means Jesus is eternally invested in your life. Isn't that good news? He is eternally invested in your life. Counselors want you to flourish. Counselors want you to avoid minefields. Counselors pour into your life and try to show you wisdom and how to move forward. And Jesus says, Christian, I am not a king who is separated from you. I am not a landlord who allows you to live in eternity forever. And you just call me when your toilet acts up. He says, I am your wonderful counselor. I am invested in your life now and in your life for eternity. I am invested. I've made it my job, he says, to bring you as much flourishing as I can for eternity. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? And what kind of counseling is this? What kind of wisdom does he dispense? Says he's invested in your life, and he calls it this I am your wonderful counselor. Now, words are tricky. Words have a way of, of changing meaning over time. For instance, if I were to tell you, if I were to say, Joey, I think you're awful. If I said that today, he'd be like, What are you talking about? That's I'm offended at that. If I told him that 200 years ago, Joey, you're awful, he'd be, he'd say, Wow, thank you for the compliment. Because 200 years ago, awful meant full of awe. Wow, you're awful. So next time somebody says that, you can say thank you. Okay, that's how it really, wonderful. Right now we, we kind of talk about it like, oh, you're good. That's a good thing. That was a wonderful job. What Isaiah meant was wonderful. Like standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon, wonderful. I've never seen anything more beautiful in all my life. Like Standing in front of the pyramids, wonderful. An ancient civilization created this. Wonderful being something that brings incredible awe. Wow. Jesus is invested in your life. And Jesus will wisely guide you in such a way that if you could see it, if you could see your life stretched out and how Jesus led you through your life, you would say, that is wonderful. That is wonderful. Barnum and Bailey uses the word wonderful. I saw an old poster that say, come see the wonder bears. Come see the wonder bears. Bears that walk like people. Bears that dance like people. Bears that skate like people. All these things, wow. 
The pyramids are called the wonders of the world. Wow. And if we could see, if we could tangibly see the counsel and wisdom that Jesus has poured into your life and will for eternity, if we could somehow stretch that out before us, it will make the Grand Canyon look like some hole in the ground. It will make the pyramids look like some some pile of rocks. We will see how Jesus led you through that storm of life. We will see how he guided you in that relationship. And we will not be able to believe the goodness and wisdom that he has shown us. Wow. Wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. And it's this wonderful wisdom, unbelievable wisdom, wisdom that will leave us speechless. He offers to you now. He offers to you now. And it's not, it's not rocket science. We know where it comes from. It comes from this book right here, doesn't it? The wisdom of God given to humanity that says, come, take, drink deeply of this word. Meditate on it day and night. It will reveal to you salvation, which is the wisest thing you could ever do. And it will reveal to you how Jesus would lead you through life. Things like be wise with money. Don't be greedy. Things like tame your tongue. Things like don't gossip. Be committed to your spouse. Be committed to your church. All these things that scripture lays out clearly that we find a hard time doing. Sometimes it's hard to do and it's hard to follow and it's hard to grasp. But if we do, there will come a time where we will look back on that wisdom that we followed and we will be in awe with how Jesus not only brought us through the minefield, but we danced through the minefield. Wow. And this wisdom is not just for now. He has promised to be our wonderful counselor forever. Do you ever worry about losing, like going to heaven and, and you'd screw it up? you ever worry about that? Like you'd sin or you'd make the wrong decision and all of a sudden you'd find yourself in hell? you ever worry about something like that? One of the reasons, one of the many reasons that that will never happen is because when you are in heaven, Jesus is fully invested into your eternal life. And you will not have the sin that we have now to reject following him. You will follow him and he will, follow, he, will, he will show you the way to live for eternity. You will never mess it up because he is the wonderful counselor. Isn't that good news? Fully invested in your life. Fully invested in bringing you into eternity and keeping you there forever. Fully invested. Wonderful counselor. The second thing he says is, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting, we have an everlasting Savior who will bring us everlasting, unstoppable strength. Mighty God. One of the many reasons we know that Jesus is God. Jesus came as God in flesh. As this child was born, and he'll be called mighty God. God in flesh. Everlasting, unstoppable strength. We see this. So the child is born who will be mighty God. Ray Ortland, he's an SBC pastor, 
fabulous pastor, just fabulous preacher, he makes this important point. He says, this mighty God, it's kind of, it works like this. It works like this. We, need, we desperately need a mighty God because like the people of Israel, we have devastating, powerful enemies. The people of Israel were dealing with Assyria who, was, who were the Nazis of the ancient Near East. Genocidal, bloodthirsty, and they were coming for Israel. And it was like their army was stretched out on the battlefield. And so they're calling to God, God, what is going to save us from our enemies? Unto us a child is born. A child? And we know that Assyria, we're not worried about Assyria right now. They're, they're obliterated. God obliterated them from the face of the earth. What I'm worried about are our true enemies. Worse than Assyria could ever imagine. Our enemies of sin and death and hell. Those armies are the one, ones every person on the planet should be terrified of. Those armies are arrayed against us. Sin and death and hell. And we throw on our other enemies of poverty and cancer and a broken marriage. And we see all these things and say, God, you must come and defeat our enemies. They're all arrayed against us. We can't do it. They're going to take us down. They're going to kill us and take us to hell. Those enemies, God, you must do it. And it's as if the armies are arrayed against us. They are, they are coming. They are, they are locked and loaded coming our direction. And our God says, I will take care of it. And it's as if God the Father comes out. I've got a little, little boy who's learning how to walk. You know how dads will, will let the little boy hold onto their fingers like this and they'll help him walk? And it's as if God the Father comes onto the battlefield and has little, little Jesus, his son, walking and he's kind of stumbling around. He's goo goo ga ga, kind of like Judah does. And he falls over sometimes, just a cute little kid. And as God, God ushers this child onto the battlefield, he looks over as the armies arrayed against us. He says, Really? That's all you got? I'm bringing this. That's all you got? That's your best shot? And there's more power in the little, little toe, in this little baby, that in, in every army the world could ever muster against us. And he ushers this little boy onto the battlefield, and the gates of hell tremble. He is the mighty God. He, didn't, he wasn't born as Rambo, a 30-year-old guy with muscles like this, kind of like me, right? 30-year-old guy, muscles like this, with a big AK-47 and a bazooka. He didn't bring him that way. He says, I don't need something like that. This little child is mightier than every army we could ever imagine. And he was born, and that little child would grow up, and we'd say, now it's time for him to be Rambo. He says, no, you don't understand. I have more power in my pinky than everything arrayed against you. I'll show you how powerful I am. I'm not going to fight them. I'm going to let them kill me. And I will show you how powerful I am. The powers of sin and death and hell, they can't keep me down. And he rises again three days later, declaring victory over all of our enemies. And that little child, the Son of God, has more might and power as an infant than all of our enemies combined. 
And so Christian, the might, he is mighty God. So Christian, Christian, Jesus has utterly destroyed sin and death and hell for you. Utterly destroyed them. He brings a baby. He's just showing off. He brings a baby to show us that it's not a, it's not a fair fight. The baby destroys him. Christian, Jesus has destroyed sin and death and hell for you. Isn't that good news? Christian, if he is that mighty, does he need your help? Does he need you to pick up a sword and go into battle for him for your salvation? No. You are saved by grace through faith. Why? He doesn't need your help. Not that you could do it anyway. He doesn't need your help. So he comes as a baby and he says, I've got you. Our job then is to let the grace of this mighty God wash over us daily. To let the mercy of this mighty God wash over us daily and out of a love for him, follow him. And Christian, not only has he destroyed sin, death, and hell for you, wiped them out, showed off while he did it. You remember Tyreek Hill doing a backflip into the end zone for a couple weeks in a row? Showing off, you know, I love it. Some people don't like it. That's how God shows off, right? Bringing a baby to this battlefield, doing backflips into the end zone, doesn't break a sweat. That's how God has destroyed sin, death, and hell for you. And Christian, here's another thing. This mighty God that put that army to flight as an infant, he says, I hold you in my hand. Can anyone snatch you from his hand? Can you lose your salvation? No, he's got you. He says, I got you in my hand. Who could snatch you from that mighty God? No one. So Christian, do you feel safe and secure? This mighty God will have you in his hand for eternity. That's why scripture calls him our fortress. Do you feel safe and secure in your fortress? He wants you to. You should. He is our solid rock. We build our house on the solid rock so the storms won't knock us over. Do you feel safe and secure and solid in the hand of Jesus? He is our everlasting unstoppable strength. And number three, he is our everlasting good father. So fathers, this is going to be a rough one. It's a rough one for me. What does it mean? It says he is our good father. He is our everlasting father. Now, this is a hard thing because some of us grew up with not good fathers. All of us grew up with sinful fathers. Some of us grew up with not good fathers. Some of us didn't, grow, didn't know our father. So when we say he is our everlasting father, that's a hard thing for most of us to wrap our mind around. What does that mean? What is Jesus saying here? Well, we, we see in Scripture what a good father is because God describes himself, and this is who Jesus is for us forever. A good father makes his kids feel safe. He is my stronghold. A good father makes his kids smile and laugh. God says, I will make you run and leap like baby calves in the sun. 
is a good father. He's a good father. He's a good father who will discipline his children. The Lord disciplines those he loves. A good father helps his kids mature. He says, Christian, I have you in my hand and I will take you to perfection. He will help his kids mature. A good father provides for his children. All good things, Scripture says, come down from our Father of lights. A good father does not overburden his kids. Jesus says, I've come and my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm not going to shove a bunch of rules on you. I'm going to do whatever is good for you. A good father forgives his kids. How do you like this one? He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. A good father is gentle with his kids. He says, let all the little children come to me. Don't you love that? Jesus loved little kids. He's gentle with his kids. A good father fights for his kids. The gates of hell shall not overcome my church. And a good father lays down his life for his kids. Jesus dies for us. Jesus has declared himself our everlasting good father. Not an absentee dad. Not a harsh dad. Not a workaholic dad. Not a burdensome dad but a good father. And I think one of the, one of the biggest ways that, that we see a difference between our earthly dads and our eternal dad is our earthly dads pass away. There will come a time where my daughters and my son does not, do not have their earthly dad. Jesus says, I'm your good father. And I will never leave you or forsake you. So dads, I feel like a, I'm a punching bag when I read this. You feel that way? Jesus is our good father forever. He will treat us that way. So you and me, we read this and we go, man, no, there's one, there's one, there's one, there's one, there's one. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not there. Here's one good thing that we can do for our children that Jesus can never do and will never do. Ready for this? One good thing. It sounds weird, doesn't it? One good thing that we can do for our kids that Jesus can never do, and it's this. Repent. Out of the grace of God, Jesus Christ turns our sinfulness into a parable for the gospel to our children. And so fathers, I heard it this way, fathers, we need to be the biggest repenters of our house because we are the biggest sinners in our house. Our children need to see us repent, especially when we fall short of these things. And when we do, Jesus turns it for their good. Something that we might be ashamed of, Jesus uses it to plant a seed of the gospel. It might sound like this. This has come out of my mouth more than I'd like to admit. Honey, you have a sinful father and I blew it. I messed up. And I've repented. I've asked Jesus to forgive me, and he has. But I want you to know, you have a sinful father, but your heavenly father will never let you down. I can't explain the grace of God that comes to me in that phrase. To be able to say that, I could turn all my sins into something good for my children. What a grace of God. 
He is our eternal good Father. Eternal good Father. He brings us, He's our everlasting Father. For eternity, He brings us everlasting, everlasting, peaceful reign. He is the Prince of Peace. Do you feel like your life is in chaos? Let's admit, a little bit during this season, our life has been in chaos. Can we all get on the same page? Crazy election, crazy pandemic, life has changed in all kinds of crazy ways. It has weighed on all of us. We all know that. It has threatened to snatch peace from our hearts. And Jesus' purpose in being here and being close to us is to save us for eternity and let us bask in his peaceful reign forever. Forever. Starting now. That means Jesus has peaceful reign for us now. You're stressed out about the pandemic. Jesus offers, come bask in my peaceful reign rain. You're stressed out about the election. He says, come bask in my peaceful rain. You've got no peace at home. You're fighting with the wife or the husband. You're fighting with the kids. He says, bring your family. Come and bask in the peaceful rain that I bring. Isaiah will describe it this way. It's like two armies coming together and no more fighting. They beat their swords into plows. He offers that to us now. He says this, his peaceful reign is so glorious, it's as if the lion will lay down with the lamb. He has that for you now. Let me me escort you into that peaceful reign, he says. Are you worried? Are you worried about your reputation? What are they going to say about me? Well, I'm sure they're saying something bad about me. What are they? They post that on Facebook. Is that meant for me? All these things. Are you worried about that? Jesus says, hey, I'm, I'm your prince. I'm the mighty God. I am the wonderful counselor. No one has your reputation in their hands except me. Anything that happens to your reputation comes through my hand. That should bring us peace. You worried about your country? It's a natural thing. Jesus says, I'm the mighty God. I am the everlasting Father. I am the wonderful counselor. I have every nation in my hands. Nothing happens to your nation without going through my hands first. You worried about your health? You worried about the pandemic? says, your health, your health is in the hands of the great physician. Again, we said at the beginning, don't go around licking doorknobs, right? Be wise. He says, "Do do not let the pandemic snatch the peace that the Prince of Peace wants to bring you. We go on and on. My kids, my kids, I worry about my kids. My kids are in the hands of Jesus. I worry about my future. My future is in the hands of Jesus. I worry about my church. My church is in the hands of Jesus. I worry about my job. My job is in the hands of Jesus. Follow the wise counselor and live in the peace that he brings. Prince of peace. 
He also brings us, Isaiah says, what is this all? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and of his government, of his reign, of his peace will never end, and it will increase and increase, everlasting increase. What's the best day you ever had in your life? When you got married, that's the right answer, husbands. When you got married, that's mine, sweetheart. That's mine. It's my answer. When you got married, how about when you had your kids? When was it? When you graduated? Probably, if we were all be honest, it was probably someday when you were four years old and you opened that present. That's probably where it was. And it was probably all the days were downhill after that. What was your best day ever? That was probably mine sometime when I'm four. I don't even remember. That's probably when when I was most joyful. And it's all been downhill. But I can tell you this for sure. I'm pretty sure it's not going to be tomorrow. Are you with me? Anybody expecting to have the best day in your life tomorrow? It probably won't be Tuesday or Wednesday. Probably won't be today. The Chiefs might lose today. Jesus comes and gives us this reign, gives us this life, gives us the everlasting life. And He promises every single day that you are with Him in glory will be your best day ever. The increase of His reign in your life will never end. Ever increasing eternal life. Ever increasing joy. Ever increasing peace. Every day we wake up and learn more about our Savior and we mine the joy out of His life that will never end. Every day we wake up and drink out of the wine jugs of Cana, the joy that's in there. We drink it and drink it and it never empties. Every day will be better than the last tomorrow will be the best day in my life until Tuesday, then that will be the best day in my life until Wednesday, then that will be the best day of my life because I'm with Jesus. Never ending joy. Every feast with him, every bite will be better than the last ever increasing joy. Can you imagine? Every laugh will be louder and deeper and more joyful than the last. Every moment of wonder and awe will leave us even more speechless. The wonders will never end. I suspect John Piper is right when he says it this way. He says, God is ultimately for his glory. We see that right here. God is for revealing his value to the entire universe so that we might come and enjoy him. That's God. God is for his glory. I suspect John Piper is right when he says it this way. And God is most glorified with us when we are most satisfied in him. What does that say? Ever increasing joy of God. That means God receives glory when we receive joy in him. And God receives more glory when we receive more joy in him. And God receives more glory when we receive more joy in him. And on, God receives more glory when we have more peace. God receives glory when we have better food. All these things are going to go up and up and up forever. Your best day. And let me assure you, heaven is not sitting on some cloud strumming a harp. You've heard me sing, that's not heaven, is it? Heaven is going to be you and me 
for eternity, new heaven and new earth right here, enjoying God in new and incredible ways every time you wake up. Think how awesome that'll be. Ever increasing joy. And what in the world causes this to happen? What do I need to pay to make this a reality? What gets this accomplished? Isaiah says this, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. So who does this? Let's break that down. The Lord. Who will do this? The Lord. Again, Christian, you did not do this. You did not earn this. You were ambushed by the grace and mercy of God as He poured into you saving faith and brought you and took you as His. You did not do this. You are saved by grace through faith alone. Who does this? Who brings us into His everlasting life? The Lord. Not you. Take that burden off of yourself. It's yours for free. It's a free gift through faith, not of works. The Lord will do this. The Lord, and I love it, will do this. That means it will happen. That means bank on it. He will do this. The Lord, the mighty God, all-knowing, nothing stops him. So if he says it will do it, it's as good as done. We're just waiting for it to happen. It's like the sun coming up tomorrow morning. I don't have to worry. It's always happened. It's always will happen. It will happen. The Lord will do this. Rest in that assurance. The Lord will do this. And then perhaps the best part of all, the Lord of hosts will do this. How? Through what means? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Christian, you are saved by a zealous God, a passionate God. Christian, you are not saved begrudgingly. What I've struggled with in the past is I think I might be saved, but it's some loophole. I'm going to be saved, but God's not crazy about the idea. No, he's zealous for you. He's zealous to save you. He's zealous to bring you into that eternity where you glorify him by enjoying him forever. What a God we have. He is zealous and passionate to save sinners like me and like you. Who will do this? Unto us a child is born, and this child is wise counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and on his, uh, the joy of his kingdom, the peace of his kingdom will increase forever. And wh- how will this happen? The passion of the Lord to bring blessing to sinners. He's passionate about that. What a God we serve. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? So, the question is then, how do we live? Christian, do you bask in this truth every single day? If you don't drink deep from these everlasting truths, you will lose your peace. If you don't drink deep into this, you will lose your feeling of assurance. The enemy will seize on those things in your heart if you do not meditate on this and drink deeply of these things. So I beg of you, eat, sleep, drink, meditate on, talk to your family, talk to everyone who will listen about the grace of God for you and the eternal Savior we worship. And if you're not a believer, 
If you're not following Jesus, you know if you're not. Be honest with yourself. You know if you're not. If you have not repented and believed the good news, you are not headed for eternal life. You are headed for eternal death. I'm asking the worship team to come up. Are you headed for eternal death? Is your life Is your life more like the picture of the dying trees and winter? Or are you an evergreen?